to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Friday. A uh, quick update here before I get into a couple of stories here, and then I do want to end with this Pfizer document that came out just the other day and go over some of those conditions. Uh, there is at least six pages plus of single-spaced side effects and adverse reactions associated with the shots. And I'm going to read again through the first five uh, and just ring them off. And you can decide for yourself. But I got to tell you, things are not going to get better here. Um, first of all, a quick update regarding Bob, the guy who stormed on the property the other day. Turns out Bob's a liar. Bob did not file a police report because, again, he, he threatened that he had as if that was some kind of a real threat. So if anybody was curious as to whether or not you can file a police report because a person talks to another person on their own property, uh, you can't. And Bob didn't do it. He just decided to show up on the property and, and threaten that like it was some big deal. See, here's the problem with leftists. They don't understand that their threats don't work on us. They just don't work. See, they just threaten falsely by lying, but we, we, actually follow through on things. Again, you've heard me bring up the insurance stuff, the open records request stuff, all of that before. That's the kind of follow through that we engage in. Not Bob. Bob rolls up in his car wearing a mask, hits record on his cell phone, starts shouting and yelling, and Bob's a liar. So there you go. It's as if Bob doesn't know that we have a phone and that we can just pick it up and call the police department and say, hey, uh, did, did a Bob Wilson fill out a police report? Uh, these people, they, they'll never learn. And as you're going to hear later on with the Pfizer document and the side effects of these jabs, it's not going to get better inside of their heads. You talk about a zombie apocalypse, it's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, these side effects are absolutely horrible. So, first thing. This comes from The Blaze. This is an old story that I touched on a while back. I may have even played the audio. But this has to do with a school board member who was hollering at a citizen to put on their mask. I believe it was in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. Chicago. Even worse. And uh, they apparently just issued an apology. See, the only reason I'm mentioning this story as a follow-up is because this is the problem. Accepting these kinds of apologies from school board members who have lost their minds and are screaming and shouting at very sane citizens who have serious concerns and are showing up is proving that the individuals who take these oaths of office and sit in these positions really believe that what they say goes and that they get to wield any amount of power that they want whenever they want. And as soon as someone challenges them, what do they have left? They resort to name-calling because they have no facts on their side. They have to lie. They have to name-call. And that's what he did with this particular individual, again, telling him to put an effing mask on and get the F out and blah, blah, blah. You know, that person's finished as a school board member. And again, all of this proof on camera is more proof that a claim should be filed against that particular individual's surety bond or a good faith and honesty policy because they've broken it and it's on film. Now, you've heard me mention that before too. These people don't understand that they are on camera, that they are talking on camera, and that their words can and will be used against them. 
in a variety of avenues. Never mind a court of law, it doesn't even have to get to that stage. It can just be used in a document to file a claim against their insurance policy as an elected official. So that would be my recommendation to that particular adult who, again, was uh, being yelled at by, by that Chicago school board member. So there you have it. Glenbrook Glen High School District 225 Board of Education. Here is the next story, and this is by Dr. Joseph Mercola, and it's titled COVID Jab Deadlier Than COVID for Anyone Under 80. And I'm just going to read his story at a glance here. Uh, A few bullet points. First of all, it says, recent data analysis shows the COVID jab is deadlier than COVID-19 itself for anyone under the age of 80, which is basically everybody. Uh, For younger adults and children, there's no benefit, only risk. No kidding. Number two, it says all age groups under 50 years old are at a greater risk of dying after receiving the COVID jab than an unvaccinated person is at risk of dying from COVID. Uh Uh-oh. Number three, for those under 18, the COVID jab increases their risk of dying from COVID-19. There's also 51 times more likely, they are also 51 times more likely to die from the jab than they are to die from COVID if not vaccinated. The next one says, only when you get into the 60 and older category do the risks between the jab and COVID infection become about even. In the 60 to 69 age group, the shot will kill every one person for every person it saves from dying of COVID. So it's a toss-up as to whether it might be worth it for any given person. And then finally, it says, data suggests that U.S. deaths reported to VAERS are underreported by a factor of 20. I would say that's an understatement. Um, There was also a report recently that came out that said, I believe it was at the very least children, but probably everybody, um, regardless of age, that nine out of 10 individuals who are ending up in the hospital who are sick with quote unquote COVID are of course vaccinated. So cat's out of the bag on this and it's not getting better. It's, uh, it's getting worse, so much so that here's the next particular story I wanted to bring up, and then another one that happened just the other day. This one comes from the expose, and it's titled, 800,000 children in 5 to 11 age group were forced to miss school in the USA after suffering a severe adverse reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine. I, too, would say this is probably an understatement. But it's awful nonetheless. Uh, And this again comes from the UK, I believe. It says the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization, JCVI, has advised the UK government to roll out the experimental Pfizer COVID-19 injection to children aged 5 to 11 on a non-urgent basis. They'd better not take it. It says, but found deep within the small print of their published advice is information confirming that one out of every 10 young children in the USA who were given the COVID-19 injection was forced to miss at least one day of school due to suffering from an adverse reaction so severe that they were unable to perform daily activities. Back in September of 2021, Professor, Professor Chris Whitty the chief medical officer for England instructed the government to offer the Pfizer COVID-19 injection to children aged 12 to 15 with immediate effect. His announcement came just after, uh, just weeks after the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization announced that they were not recommending the Pfizer COVID-19 injection to be offered to all children 
over the age of 12. So just taking a look here at the first chart that they have in this article, it's pretty crystal clear that you are twice as likely to be diagnosed with COVID-19, quote unquote, if you are triple jabbed as opposed to not vaccinated at all. And this stretches again from July of last year all the way through February 13th of this year. Again, I love the expose. The dailyexpose.uk is a great website. Um, I mean, if you want accurate scientific information, it's a great place to go. Lots of charts, lots of graphs, excellent information. I highly recommend checking this out sort of for your, um, your daily COVID advice, to say the least, or updates as to what's going on. But um, really an excellent website. But again, the, you know, the, the one statistic that we're not hearing and that may not be tracked, so to speak, with, with a certain level of specificity has to do with the number of students who have died as a result of these shots. If, if it's roughly 800,000 adverse reactions, how many individuals have actually died? Um, you know, th- there may never be a way of finding that out. But sadly, there is this particular story again, which, which just happened the other day, and I'm reading this again from the New York Post.com. Katie Meyer, Stanford soccer player, found dead on campus. And, uh, you know, the, the first person I thought of when I, when I first heard this and, and read this was uh, A.J. Gochik, of course, who, who works and lives right next door to Stanford University. And you've heard him on this podcast before describing these things in detail. The masks, the jab rollout, uh, the vast majority, of course, are all jabbed. It was hands down required. I mean, if you went to Stanford, like most universities and colleges, you had to take these. And that's why, again, I think this is without a doubt, and I'm not alone in this regard, this is the largest crime that has ever taken place in the, in the history of humanity. There have been many, but the coercion alone and the conspiracy uh, to commit murder here has been next level. Uh, I'm speculating that it was jab-related. I have no proof of that. And if, as you would expect, no one's saying any of that. But, you know, we can put two and two together here, I think. And I don't think it's inappropriate to do that. I think it's necessary. We have to critically think about these kinds of things. And let me just kind of read through this a little bit. But it's unfortunate because this raises, you know, a, a bigger question for me personally is, is I said this on Gab and, and I meant it and I, I stand by it 100%. You know, in the past, when a college student dies, and keep in mind, college students die every single year on campuses all over the United States and all over the world, very rarely does it make the national news. And, I mean, it just doesn't. If, if a college student dies, it, it, it might make the local newspaper. It, it won't necessarily make the local televised news. And it certainly won't make the national news unless there's a certain amount of attention that it's given or something hinky took place, you know, whatever it may be. But there have been individuals who have died on the university campus where I live and not a peep in the national news, hardly a word in the, uh, in the local newspaper. You know, people die is my point. Uh, but why, why is it that 
she's in the national news? Why is it that this story made its way to the national news? And I, as I said on Gab, is it because she's a California athlete at a, at a major university? Um, is it because she's a blonde from California? Or is it because of the shots? And they're putting this out into the, you know, into the mainstream because why? Are they trying to normalize this? Are they trying to soften the blow for everybody? Uh, when we start hearing more of these stories, again, it says in the article, cause of death was not given. She was a senior. Meyer was a senior, majored in international relations and minored in history. Team captain of their soccer team, goalie, there you have it, uh, found dead in her residence hall. And yeah, that's it. But but why why her? Why this? Why would this make the national news and another death of another student on another campus, which has happened, isn't making the national news? Um, I know that the media gives priority to athletes. It certainly gives priority to pretty girls who, you know, who, who have passed away in particular stories. But again, this is not a new thing. Um, you know, students students dying in in you know as college students is is not new. Um, in fact, your rates of death dramatically increase the moment that you enter college. Suicide is the number one cause of death. Uh, I believe there was no foul play. There was no indication of suicide uh, with this particular individual. Um, but yeah, I again I could speculate as the day is long. I just think it's very odd that they would take this particular story and thrust this into the mainstream if there wasn't a reason for doing that. And again, if people have taken these shots, they'd better do well to keep educating themselves about what's going on. I mean, even Dan Bongino the other day openly stated, look, I took these shots back when I had cancer. I don't know if he still has cancer or not, but he took these shots thinking that it was a good idea because his doctor told him it was a good idea. Now he's learning about what's in these and what this is doing to people. And he's, he's regretting it 100%. He goes, I need to learn more. And I didn't do my due diligence, and I should have done that before I took these shots. I would suggest everybody do that. But yeah, it's sad and it's unfortunate. But um, make no mistake, this Stanford soccer player is not the first to die from these shots who's attended a college or a university. They aren't. And they're not going to be the last either. So I would just encourage people to, you know, always question the media and always question those, um, you know, their, their motives, whatever they may be. But if they're trying to normalize this, and we know that they are, I mean, we've seen we've seen the posters and the, you know, the giant stickers on the sides of buses that say, uh, you know, kids get heart attacks too, and kids get strokes too, and if you're an athlete. Uh, you know, you might end up with a stroke because that's what happens when you're an athlete. It's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And that, that does not happen by and large. In this exact same vein, there was also this post, which I tossed up on Gab2, found this bouncing around the boards as well. And it comes from Covington, Virginia. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, a picture of a printed off piece of paper that's stuck to the sliding window inside of a doctor's office. And the caption at the top says, I took this photo at our pediatrician's office this morning. And it says this, it says, student athletes, it says sports physicals are done primarily to make sure 
that you're not at high risk for sudden cardiac death on the playing field. And then highlighted, it says, COVID vaccination affects your risk. Next paragraph, it says, in response to worldwide experience and vaccine adverse event monitoring, we are adopting a more precautionary sports physical sign-off policy. And then all of this last paragraph is highlighted. It says, if you have received doses of any COVID shot, we will not be able to clear you to compete in sports without performing lab work and possibly on, uh, I'm sorry, possibly an echocardiogram to rule out potential heart damage, unquote. Somebody responded in the comments and said the JV just turned into the varsity team. I mean, this is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. At least this doctor's figured it out. The problem is, is that how many shots has this particular doctor actually given to their own patients? I'm glad that their conscience is starting to finally, you know, resonate a little bit inside of their own head. But the damage is done here. And again, the kind of blood work that they're going to be doing is a D-dimer test. If they're, if they're detecting blood clotting at the microscopic level after a, uh, a D-dimer test, they're in deep trouble. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine, again, the look on a person's face, on a, on a child's face, or a quote-unquote student-athlete if they were to read that in their own doctor's office? They go in you know, because they want to play a sport. It matters to them. They get in there, and then they're going, oh, wait a minute. Well, I don't understand. What is this? What, why is this all of a sudden a problem? I got to tell you, this is, I've, I've beat this horse to death, and I'm going to keep doing it. The cognitive impact that is going to occur among the jabbed when they start to see what it's actually doing to others or themselves is going to be something that people cannot comprehend. They are, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, for them. I don't want any harm to come their way, clearly. I'm certain that it already has. I've, I've heard stories of individuals to take their own lives because they thought they had COVID. Let alone, I mean, forget the shots for a minute. People killing themselves because they think that they're sick. And again, on the spectrum of possibilities, we have to assume that, that of course, then that action, that very unfortunate action of taking your own life is something that's occurred among endless individuals when maybe all they needed was a second opinion. You know, somebody goes into their doctor, doctor looks at him and says, well, I hate to break it to you, you have cancer, you have stage four cancer and it doesn't look good. Instead of getting a second opinion, the person just goes home and kills themselves. Only to, you know, well, of course, they're not going to find out, but they will when they're dead. But <laughs> the point is, is that what if they didn't have cancer? I mean, that's happened. If these people can, you know, if doctors can cut off the wrong leg or cut off the wrong testicle, they can certainly misdiagnose just about anybody. And again, to sort of have the stone, so to speak, to... Or, or the moral fortitude, finally, to some extent anyway, even though it's sort of a soft blow, but to print out that piece of paper and stick it on the sliding, uh, you know, sliding glass door of your pediatrician office, saying, hey, look, if you took the COVID jabs, uh, I can't sign off on any sports physical because you're probably going to drop dead, so you might as well get some of these tests done and then we'll see what's going on. 
this is this is a, a just another level of a cognitive uh, disconnect. We'll call it that is really going to be very very hard for these people to wrestle with. And I don't envy them any of this. This is a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare for many people. But again, as I've stated, don't hurt yourself. If a person has been jabbed, don't hurt yourself. There are detox methods. There are things that can be done. But because of the changing DNA that's occurring and the changing RNA that's occurring as a result of these shots, you know, that's the toothpaste that can't be put back. So, yeah. It just means that these individuals who have taken these shots have got to monitor themselves now if they're conscious enough to be able to actually do that and certainly do it with with some semblance of regularity. Because again, as you've heard even nurses state in the past, and not to be too morbid of, of, of regarding all of this, but um, you know, she, the, the one nurse I played in the past played her audio when she was speaking at a school board meeting. She called them ticking time bombs. So, yeah. I don't know where else to go with that, really. But I do want to dive into this Pfizer document very quickly. And uh, it, too, is is not great. But I want to uh, just read the first four or five conditions here and then read what they are. Keep in mind, again, this is at least six pages of single-spaced adverse reactions and conditions that have been released. And thank God for the federal judge who said that Pfizer can't hide these documents until whatever year it was, 2093, 2096, something like that. So these documents are coming out more and more, and um, it's revealing very, very bad stuff. So the very first condition that's on this list is named 1P36 deletion syndrome. And here's what it is. It says it's a chromosome disorder that typically causes severe intellectual disability. Most affected individuals do not speak or speak only a few words. They may have temper tantrums, bite themselves, or exhibit other behavior problems. Most have structural abnormalities of the brain, and seizures occur in more than half of individuals with this disorder. It says affected individuals Uh, usually have weak muscle tone and swallowing difficulties. Other features include a small head that is unusually short and wide, vision and hearing problems, abnormalities of the skeleton, heart, gastrointestinal system, kidneys, or genitalia, and distinctive facial, facial features as well. Some of this, again, some of these particular side effects for this 1P36 deletion syndrome are typical with uh, Down syndrome individuals as well. But it says there's no cure for this syndrome, and treatment depends on symptoms and may include rehabilitation, educational programs, medication, standard treatment for heart, kidney, eye, hearing, or bone problems. Not not good. The second one is titled, and you're going to have to bear with me on these words here. This one is a mouthful. Uh, 2-hydroxyglutaric aciduria. It's a condition that causes progressive damage to the brain. The major types of of this disorder are called D2, I'll call it HGA, as they do. And it says the major features vary within different types, but in general may include delayed development, seizures, weak weak muscle tone, 
and abnormalities rather in the largest part of the brain, which controls many important functions, as we might imagine, such as muscle movement, speech, vision, thinking, emotions, and memory. The next one is titled 5-nucleotidase, if I'm saying that right. 5-NT is how it's abbreviated, and it's an enzyme of an unknown physiologic function that is found in the liver, intestine, brain, heart, blood vessels, and pancreas. So they're inside of these shots, or at the very least, it's uh, stimulating particular things in our body that maybe don't need to be stimulated. For example, this next one, acoustic neuritis. If I'm saying that correctly, it's an inflammation of the inner ear as a result of these shots. So that's not good either. Hearing problems, ringing sounds. Uh, Here's the next one, acquired angiodemia. It's abbreviated as C1INH-AAE. says it's a rare syndrome of recurrent episodes of angioedema without eudicaria, which is associated with B-cell lymphoproliferative disorders in some patients. It says this condition typically affects the skin or mucosal tissue of the upper respiratory and gastrointestinal tracts. This next one is a mouthful. Uh, Epidermolysis bullosa aquistia. There you go. Gesundheit. EBA. See, that's so much easier. EBA. That's how it's abbreviated. I'm not making up that abbreviation. That's real. EBA is a rare autoimmune disorder that causes the skin to blister in response to minor injury. Common areas of blistering include the hands, feet, knees, elbows, and buttocks. It also affects the mouth, nose, and eyes. Some affected people have other health problems such as Crohn's disease, lupus, um, multiple myeloma, and it says EBA is not inherited and usually occurs in adulthood. Treatment aims to protect the skin, stop the formation of blisters, and promote healing. Immunosuppressive drugs may be used to reduce the body's autoimmune response. Again, that's just the first four or five conditions associated with these shots on that now-released Pfizer document. These documents are going to keep coming out. Every month, more and more documents are going to be coming out. It's... um. It's going to be next level here. The question then becomes, what do we do with these documents? My recommendation is simple. These documents need to be printed out. This particular document is uh, 30 some odd pages long. It needs to be printed out. It needs to be sent directly to county health departments and state health departments. Send it to your email it to your local hospital with the tagline that simply says, stop giving these out. Take it to a sheriff's department. That's what I'm going to do. I'm taking this to the sheriff's department, and I'm going to say, you have to put an end to this now. This is killing people. This is the proof. This is from Pfizer itself. This is from the company that, that, that created this and is doing this. You need to put out some kind of a memo that says, we recommend you stop this now. This might have a criminal nature associated with it. You would do well to cut it out. I mean, the proof exists. The question is, is how many people are actually compiling this proof? I am. And then, of course, 
giving it to the appropriate authorities, hoping that they actually do what they're supposed to do. And if they don't do what they're supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen, they too have a surety bond. A sheriff is an elected official. They have an insurance policy too. You can file a claim against their insurance policy. Now I would like to wrap up with a history lesson, and this is one that will drive people crazy, and I love it. Uh, This comes from themillenniumreport.com from 2017, and it's titled, How Russia Helped the Thirteen Colonies Win the American Revolution. Catherine the Great and the American Revolution by Arik Burakovsky. U.S. Embassy, Moscow. It says, quote, On Independence Day, celebrated on July 4th, Americans reflect on their nation's history as it came into existence in 1776. The American Revolutionary War began more than a year before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, but it was fought over eight years and resulted in the tens of thousands of casualties. The United States was formed in a world dominated by great empires, such as Great Britain, France, Russia, and Turkey. Unbeknownst to many people, even history aficionados, is that the Russian Empire played an important yet indirect role in furthering the American cause. According to many scholars, Catherine II empathized with the colonists and the common attitude among aristocrats in St. Petersburg was that the, quote, state of the English court and ministry was not such as to inspire national or outside trust toward them, unquote. She had long predicted that America would become independent of Europe, quote, even in my lifetime, unquote. When the war broke out, she exclaimed that, quote, the colonies have told England goodbye forever, unquote. In her private correspondence, she did not hesitate to blame George III for provoking a meaningless quarrel and urged England to reconcile with the colonies. Catherine II chose not to openly pick a side in the war. The Russian Empire did not recognize the United States as a sovereign nation until the war ended. In 1780, her foreign minister, Count Nikita Panin, P-A-N-I-N, issued a declaration of armed neutrality which officially declared the Russian Empire's non-alignment in the Revolutionary War. Nonetheless, the the Empress unofficially exercised favoritism toward the colonies by trading with them, giving them enough optimism to continue their fight, and eventually trying to serve as a mediator between America and Great Britain, all without compromising Russia's neutral stance. Through diplomacy and commerce, Catherine II was able to influence the course of the war. Russia started trading with the colonies over a decade before the revolution. Americans and Russians saw each other as an excellent trade partner, having ample resources to offer each other. Despite Great Britain's Navigation Acts, which restricted foreign trade directly with the colonies, Russian ships began delivering products like hemp, sail linen, and iron to American ports as early as 1763. This did not stop once the war began. Catherine II believed that an independent America would further Russian business interests, allowing America to trade with the Russian Empire without interference from Britain on the high seas. Continued trade with Russia during the war provided the colonies with a market for their goods as well as funds, the funds and supplies that they needed to survive. 
1780, Catherine II attempted to act as a mediator in the war by sending a proposal to each of the European powers involved in the conflict. She requested that the belligerents gather to discuss what could be done to end the hostilities. Catherine II chose Prince Dmitri Galitzin to act on her behalf at an international meeting in Vienna, offering a set of peace guidelines that included a multi-year armistice and a requirement that negotiations continue to be held. Without explicit mention of whether or not America would become autonomous, Pannon secretly hoped that America would be given complete liberty to decide its own fate. While Catherine the Great's peacemaking efforts ultimately fell through, they represented a worthy attempt to use diplomacy to shorten the war. In 1781, Francis Dana arrived in St. Petersburg as first representative of the United States to Russia. Catherine II is unwilling to accept his credentials because of the Russian Empire's continued diplomatic ties with Great Britain. Nevertheless, she allows Dana to stay in Russia as a private citizen, building public support for the American cause at its core democratic values until the end of the war in 1783. Catherine II's contributions to the American War of Independence is admittedly nuanced but cannot be understated. Hoping for a United States to gain its independence from Great Britain, Catherine II provided the colonists with anything she could, short of entering the war on their side. It was the patriots who initially sparked the Revolutionary War, but it was Russia that helped fuel their motivation and resilience, a factor in their victory against British and Loyalist troops. By the time of its independence, the United States had already built a robust foundation of trade, diplomacy, and friendship with Russia, unquote. Isn't real history glorious? Isn't it glorious? Because somewhere, there's a history teacher right now falsely teaching their subject without their knowledge, refusing to unlearn what they have learned, continuing to investigate, continuing to learn new things, and an, uh, an actual factual telling of history and a reading and investigation of real history. And they're probably standing at the front of their room, screaming at the top of their lungs right now that Russia is the worst, Putin needs to die, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, they have a copy of the Communist Manifesto probably in their desk drawer or on their bookcase as they scream, shout, and yell with a hammer and sickle uh, sticker on the back of their Prius. It's absolutely ridiculous. And again, this is, this is the brainwashing. This is the part of, of history that continues to baffle people that they have no idea that just because they see it on TV doesn't mean it's real. Just because you saw it in a movie doesn't make it real. It's in the actual historic writings of these individuals. You go back and read the actual writings of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, you're going to come across a level of geopolitical fact that is next level, that again, these people just cannot comprehend. But they would rather just read a textbook and say, well, all I have to do is just regurgitate what's in this textbook to my students and then everything will be fine. Nope. That's, that's the real problem. And I hate to break it down with this simple word, ladies and gentlemen, but it really is laziness. It's just laziness. Being a school teacher is a nine to five job. You punch in, you punch out, and, and that's it. Now, as I've said on numerous occasions, and I'll say it again, what are they doing now? 
they're filling the profession with individuals who are fine with their students changing their own names and encouraging them to cut off their own genitalia. That's what the profession has become. It's absolutely nuts. The fact that, again, there are entire schools filled with teachers who uh, align themselves with these ideologies. And then, of course, there are schools that don't, but will have the occasional person who works within those buildings who aligns themselves with these ideologies. It's, it's, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity. I do not see it getting better. I see enrollment as we continue to move here into the spring, because there's an interesting time that's coming up here in the, uh, in the next month or two. This is when teachers have to decide whether or not they want to come back. They have to either sign those commitment forms and say, yep, I'm coming back next year. That's my plan. Or they have to say, nope, I'm resigning or nope, I've, I've got a job somewhere else and I'm leaving and blah, blah, blah. They have to turn in those forms here in the, in, in the next month or two. Because again, these schools are going to have to realign themselves and start making some new hires or attempt to make new hires. And uh, I think they're going to have a hard time filling positions again. This is going to be year two in a row of them having a very hard time filling positions because, again, people are leaving this profession in droves. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.